Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scott Stedman Podcast. Hope you are having a wonderful weekend. And Micah, boy, last week's episode was uh, was fun to record, nervous to record, but it also we got a lot of feedback from that episode. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I was nervous about recording it. I'm glad we did. I'm glad we had that conversation I feel like the church needs to have that same conversation and see where we are. And um, as you told me, we've had a lot of a lot of comments on. Yeah, we did. We had a lot of comments, social, um, and YouTube, and everything. Yeah, and actually, with over the weekend, just a quick number over the weekend, because again, we drop our episode on Friday, so today's Monday as we record. Oh, thirty-one people have already listened to just the audio version. Thirty-one people have already listened to. Um. This podcast, and this is according to Podbean, like sometimes they don't do good when you link it up to other things like Apple Music or Spotify, or I guess it's called Anchor now, their podcast division. So uh, yeah, but so pretty, pretty good episode, a lot of stuff. So um, just, I'm going to go quick through some of the comments. Um, so one comment we got was from our good buddy, Steve Roby. Um he actually commented on our YouTube page and said, hey, guys, thanks for the conversation. I enjoyed it. Uh, so that was good. Um, the other thing uh, that I noticed is I made, I made a mention about the UMC and kind of the whole disaffiliation and the things that led to that. And I mentioned a buddy's, a friend of mine's name, uh, Caleb. And Caleb actually listened to it and he commented on it and he kind of gave some um kind of gave some uh, clarification. And he said, um, I just had a chance to listen to this. And as someone you mentioned this episode and he signed Coga firm and serves at Oxford UMC right next to Miami University. I, I found it quite interesting. It was, I would clarify the UMC has never officially been affirming. And when the special general conference of 2019 uh, added more punitive language to how to handle LGBT, TQ persons, it caused quite an uproar for many, particularly in the U.S. Before 2019, the language was practicing homosexuals, but then self-affirming was added because, as you can figure, uh, practicing isn't actually something that you can verify unless you happen to be there. While the language of the UMC certainly remains anti-LGBTQ, the traditionalists are using a paragraph added to our Book of Disciplines in 2019, even reference the page number, page 2,553, to leave because in the U.S. traditionalists are in the minority compared to other places in the world. And while nothing can happen until 2024 General Conference, they fear the UMC is heading in a direction they don't like, which is to say they are leaving not because something has happened, but because they either fear it will happen or have general disdain for the UMC as it is. And I'll also add before this comment becomes an article in itself, uh, that as a pastor who leads a congregation of diverse perspective and beliefs on this issue, it is certainly not an easy one to navigate when you're dealing with people who have opposing viewpoints. And then he also mentioned later, P.S. I attended a Church of God camp meeting while in college, and I distinctly remember this issue being brought up. And someone said, we don't need to discuss because we already know the answer. So this reluctancy to speak on it by the Church of God is not new. It is simply their M.O. Where did they, where did you say that person was from? Uh, he goes. He is uh, Oxford UMC. So right outside where I work, or yes. close to where I work. Yep, and that's actually one of my good friends from uh, 
Camp Marengo, and we also went to Anderson around the same time and took a theology class with Barry Callen together. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so that's him kind of giving some insight. A um, couple of people I've talked to, um, actually one particular person, I thought this was an interesting conversation. It that definitely not necessarily a Church of God affirm issue, but just another Church of God issue in general. We were just getting into talking about that and some other topics like the uh, price hike for ministers and churches, um, amongst other things. And one of the things that he said is he was talking to somebody, and I can't remember if this is someone who's like a higher up in the Church of God or a higher up within the or a regional pastor. Can't remember uh, what this person's position is. But my buddy, who's a minister out in Nebraska, said he was talking to this person, and the person made the comment that if the Church of God Reformation movement folded in on itself, they would be okay with it. Where my right. friend, my friend as a pastor, said, "You know, I'm well, not there well, yet." Well, by, by by folding in on itself, what do you mean, or what do they mean? Basically, means if it no longer exists, if it just completely collapses, and the Church of God Reformation movement no longer exists anymore, because it has completely—I don't know if it means if if what that person says again. I don't know the full context. I don't know if that means if we have a split, or if it's just simply because we keep seeing such a decline of churches in our movement. No one seems to give to Anderson, which is why we have a price hike. And not only, <laughs> well, at least half of them are still giving out of the 2000 that. I was going to say, you said the M word movement. Movement. Oh, I'm sorry. Denomination. Denomination. Um, and that there seems to be, and I think this is kind of interesting too, that even though we are a movement and we don't have like a, you know, we don't have like a, a book of creeds or anything else. You know, it's just the Bible. Then it's almost like, at least from my friend's point of view, it almost seems like the, the position of the general director in some ways is kind of a joke. Because if you're the general director and you're supposed to be kind of the, the pope of the uh, Church of God and you say whatever, it's every single church can basically say, well, we don't have to listen to that. We can just kind of do our own thing. And really, there's no, you know, there's no big, like, hard rule or stature saying, okay, this is what we believe, so everyone must follow suit. It's almost kind of like, well, we're a movement. We are not configured to these policies or these whatever it's just simply the bible so if i read the bible and i read it different than the general director interpret it than the general director then i don't have to listen to what the general director has to say so just a couple of interesting uh comments that came from uh those conversations and even just um some comments and there's some people who are hoping that you know the way we navigate this issue we do it with um you know, we do it very smoothly and we don't kind of butcher it. So, which I feel like that's going to be kind of a hard thing because it is such a very hot button topic, hot button topic that um, has to be addressed. What about you, Micah? Any comments from you or anything you've been seeing since, um, since the podcast? So a couple of things, um, you know, I, 
had my wife listen to it. We usually listen to the show back just to just to see, you know, how I'm improving or or, or the conversation, especially if the topic's you know considerably a uh, you know considered yeah. a you know a, a hot button topic. Like we just said, um, you know, it, it, one of the things I kept saying to friends and, and pastors and leaders, you know, that I have been in different circles with over the last couple of weeks has been we shouldn't be shocked that this conversation hasn't happened sooner. Yeah. And um, to your friends from Oxford, thank you for that comment. I, you know, I want to continue to be educated and I want to continue to learn. And my stance, or not my stance, I'm sorry. My, my thought just, I have a couple of friends that are pastors in UMC churches and I've, I've led worship in those spaces and, um, helped with with sound and, and live stream consulting and things like that. And you walk in the church and it's like, wow, there's there's pride flags here and pride flags there. And you would just think that the UMC is full-blown full affirming mm-hmm. of LGBTQ. Uh, but to your friend's point, I didn't know that, what he said, as far mm-hmm. as the the whole, it has to come back up at the conference. You're, is that your, like, you're considered like your national conference kind of thing? Kind of it's so there's it's it's weird because there's each district has their conference. So West Ohio has their conference, but then the big general conference, that's the one that's is the whole entire UMC. So it would almost be like GA, like mm-hmm. we just had our West Ohio conference uh this this past weekend. So that's like our G- Ohio GA, and then Every four years, they do a big national conference, and that would be kind of like our camp meeting or our mm-hmm. general assembly, the Anderson General Assembly. Yeah. So yeah, I you know I appreciate being educated more on that, and um, you know the other thing that I've I've had conversations with people, different generations, different areas of the country, um, is that. You know we're going to jump into this next week. By the way, for our listeners, like Jim Lyon. Church of God Ministries announced, I think it was Friday, Scott, I sent it to you. Friday, yeah. Or you sent it to me, I don't remember who did what. But like, he's apparently going to jump on a live stream this coming Friday, June 9th, from 1 to 2.30. So if you're a pastor, a leader in the Church of God, please jump on that and um, give it a listen, see what he has to say. But like, one of the trends that I'm seeing with friends and family and pastors and leaders and churches has been, why is this taking so long for there to be a response? Why are we taking two weeks to respond to this? You know, it was one thing that they waited till five o'clock on a Friday on a holiday weekend to do a social, a very vague social media post. But like, it's almost like you're just letting this thing catch fire by letting it go on for almost three weeks and then doing a Facebook live to respond to it to see where the church got is when it shouldn't take that long. Well, and, and I and kind of going back to the point we made last week, if they didn't even post anything Friday. I'm sure 90% of the people probably wouldn't even know what this was going on. Right. And so that's the other thing. It's like, it's, it's, like, it's almost like the other person that made the comment about the church of God imploding on itself. Like what is the, what if this is the, uh, the proverbial nail to the coffin and people, people are too vague to, you know, I'm sorry, too naive to see um, the writing on the wall. And it's, it, you know, we've done other episodes on church health and things like that, and that's a separate topic. But like, 
some churches aren't going to be strong enough to survive this, you know, let alone some other things uh, that may come up. And it's very, uh, it makes my heart hurt. And I want to say that it's not for the reasons people think that it makes my heart hurt. It's, it makes my heart hurt that we're not willing to have a conversation with folks and we're not willing to see where people are. And it's this whole drawing lines in the sand and it's this, you know, generational, uh, generational problem that we've had in church God for decades. And it's, it's like, throw the lgbtq conversation out of the out the window for a second it's 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 church health it's church leadership it's other topics um racial diversity lgbtq plus um alcoholism uh, sex trafficking pornography drugs like there are manipulative narcissistic people in your church that are serving on your elder boards there are so many issues in, in in that kind of all revolves around church health and and i think that we're we're just missing the mark and it's very disheartening and so um i don't understand why it takes you know almost three weeks for somebody to have a conversation and to jump on a live and like i don't know what to expect scott you said you don't know what to expect um i'm sure that the majority of folks in the country you know all around the country are brothers and sisters who are are pastors and leaders of church guys churches all over the place um i don't know what they're thinking either um but something that I said last week, like you've got some, you know, some pretty passionate people one way or the other. And that always makes for a disaster. And even reading some of the, the comments on social media and the threads of, okay, the church God made the announcement. Hey, we're going to, we're going to have this Facebook live and we're going to address this thing. You yeah. know, they, that's already, you know, caught fire. There's like 400 oh, comments there's, one. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and it, I was even going to bring, and you bring up a good point with that too. Cause even that's the thing. Cause even like when, like even when, and I think that's also depends on kind of where people are at. You know what I mean? I think when pastors fellowship posted their kind of response on, in regards to human sexuality, I think a majority of the stuff I was seeing just comments from that post was like, Amen. 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 Like very like, you know, praise God. Amen. Very well, something, you know, it's not, not surprising from, you know, the target audience that pastors fellowship seems to have. But then you have Versus, somebody like the, the state pastor in Indiana who wrote an outstanding response an outstanding, like yes. scripture theology backed up all his points. Like if that was an exegetical paper in a new Testament class or whatever, it would have been an A plus plus. Right. And I was very thankful for that. And I think I think they did. I think Florida did. Um, so I didn't see Florida. I've like the only stuff I posted like with my post for the podcast was kind of a clarification that I had from my pastor about the UMC regarding um, LBGTQ affirmation within the UMC. Um, Pastors Fellowship response and Indiana Ministries response. So I didn't get to see any of any other state. I don't did Ohio Ministries post a response. Nope. I didn't think so. They, Jordan told me that they were supposed to come out with something on Friday and they never did. Probably because they saw Anderson was going to put something. So they're like, well, if Anderson's doing it. We're just going to back away from the table and let them take it. But back to my point about leadership, like if it's coming yeah. from the top, then why did it take so long for them to a respond? And then like, you have like these state pastors that are, you know, just like, we're going to take a stand. If our leadership can't, our state's going to represent our state. It's yeah. And then not only that, but even like when the Church of God finally said, hey, we're going to do a special announcement and we're going to discuss it like, yeah, over 400 comments. And 
My goodness. Uh, from from like one side or the other, right? Like yeah. way well, like my favorite was I saw one that said, I've been church of God my whole life, now I'm Baptist, or something like that. I don't remember <laughs> something similar yeah. to that. Well, even just even just fighting, but then even like some of the comments, which I think some of the few comments from some of my close friends has been I find it discouraging that we have pastors who were supposed to, you know, speak the truth in love and love the sin, like love the sinner, but hate the sin. And yet a topic like this, we're getting to the point where we're being very passive aggressive, very mean, very confrontational and not being very loving and having a dialogue, which I think it's okay. And I think there's one thing, there's a, there's a person on here who I know because we went to Anderson together. And he was in my social club and he, he he gives a story about, you know, kind of him being him being part of the LBGTQ community. But he, he brings out that, you know, um, you know, we have to you have to remember that it's not just a topic you're discussing, but you're discussing people you're discussing human beings part of this community and how the church is going to respond to them and i think you know there's obviously with church with any type of church well let me say this with any type of denomination you're going to have to deal with policies and statements of faith and what we believe so that people who want to be a part of your denomination can say, okay, I want to be a part of this. If we're going to say the word movement, then that's going to be different because movement's not about policy and and um, procedures and mission statements. A movement is about a group of people who are doing their best to try to follow and live out their faith in Jesus Christ and do it authentically and faithfully. And I think that's where, you know, the movement denomination debate, which we don't want to, we're not going to talk about that today, but I think that's where we're going to kind of get to a head. If we're a movement, there's some great things that have, that come from being a movement, but there's other, some things that there's some, weaknesses about being a movement where there's a lot of strengths about becoming a denomination but then there's also a lot of weaknesses too so you're gonna have to kind of figure out like a Jeanette Flynn said when we interviewed her you know the church of God has to figure out who we are and what we believe and it's taking a really long time to figure that I know. out and yeah. some, would, some would argue that denomination and, and denomination or non-denomination denomination and movement are the same thing we're just calling it something different and then that's the compromise. But when I was raised as a kid, we were always told that we were a church God Anderson, but we were non-denominational. Mm-hmm. It's not non-denominational yeah. because other church of gods have the same beliefs that we do. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we're that's what we're going to stow again Friday. Like Micah said, Friday from one to two, Facebook Live. I don't know if it's going to be on their YouTube channel. I think it's just Facebook Live. Uh, but. General Director Jim Lyons is going to speak on this issue of human sexuality, Church of God Affirm, and everything. So we'll see. We'll see kind of what he says and the response and kind of I guess we'll get I guess we'll get back on uh next time and really discuss that topic. 
Um, so with that being said, uh, let's kind of shift gears and go to Stories Gone Wild. Micah, do you have a Stories Gone Wild for us today? Not necessarily Stories Gone Wild, but like I we walked into church yesterday and I've shared that this Presbyterian church is 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 you know been great uh, a great place to go to and we um have had a lot of um fun going getting to know these people getting to love on them get them you know to love on us and um it's just been my joy and my honor to be there it's been it's different than what we're used to because it's like we 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 joked with the pastor that it's kind of like catholic light meaning that they have a lot of liturgy they have a lot of prayers they have a lot of um their order of service is very um rote and it's very like every week it's the same uh mm. we, which is what it really means um but like you know they somebody gets up they do the announcements um they do a call to worship they do song one they do um a thing called passing the peace of christ which is basically just you know a meet and greet time you can either shake hands wave people throw the peace sign up as i like to do um people laugh when i do that and then uh you know they jump into worship songs two and three and then they have a um prayer confession and then like an assurance of pardon and then they do two more songs, community prayer, the Lord's prayer, doxology, the message. And then they do kind of like a prayer at the end and they do a song and then they do a benediction and they're out. So um, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to somebody at the church and they were talking, they, they came up to me afterwards and they knew who I am and they knew that I'm a worship leader. And they asked my, they were asking my opinion about some stuff. And um, one of the things I said was, you know, I've worked in churches where we've had, you know, contemporary services and traditional services, and we've had mm-hmm. blended services and contemporary services. And I kind of got to the point where, you know, it was exhausting to ask your volunteers to do multiple services and learn different music and for different services. And so some people would serve in both and it's just a big ask. Right. And so we got into a conversation about contemporary versus traditional worship music. And um, I thought it was hysterical um, but this church is primarily older and they asked, you know, the guy I was talking to me about, don't say the word contemporary. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, people would say, people would react poorly if you said the word contemporary or said that you're going to move to more contemporary style or contemporary service. However, if you get up and said, hey, we're going to introduce a new song today and just play the song or introduce a new song to the congregation, they're fine with it. But what I found interesting was that since we've been going there for the last couple of months, they'll do two or three songs a week that are contemporary. This week they did This Is Amazing Grace by Phil Wickham. I mean, that song's, Mm. you know, almost 10 years old, but it's more contemporary. It's It's got a more blended vibe to it. A couple of weeks ago, they did like Hymn of Heaven, excuse me, Hymn of Heaven by Phil Wickham. And they've done Waymaker and they've done Living Hope and they've done Goodness of God and they've done all these songs. But like people just don't call them contemporary, <laughs> but they love them and they sing them very loudly. And it's like, why, you know, is that a good approach? And I, I know that we're going to jump into staffing here in a minute, but like if you hire a new worship leader and you're like asking them to do a more blended 
service, is it a better idea to just say, good morning, let's stand together and worship. We're going to sing a new song together today and not call it contemporary or traditional. Or we're going I... to sing this great hymn of the faith and, you know, mm. turn, you know, take your hymnals out and turn to page 422. I, I have never thought of that in over 10 years of worship ministry. It's well, I think now that's kind of a great, I think it goes back to something that Gloria Gaither said years ago when I was at Anderson and she was talking about worship wars, which I know <laughs> we've talked about that topic quite a bit. And and she just kind of talked a little bit about, you know, the stuff that her and Bill went through when they were doing gospel music and, you know, doing gospel music when everything was very traditional and hymn driven. And it's so, you know, and she kind of even made the comment like, you know, it's funny. It's weird seeing, you know, Gaither songs in the Church of God hymnal, because back when they were starting and doing their music ministry, that would not have been something that they would have imagined would have happened due to kind of the. But she made the comment kind of the alluding to, you know, worship is just a way for us to respond to God. So who cares about whether it's contemporary or traditional? It's about surrender, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really good point that she made. And I think in all of that, um, going back to your question about, you know, should we even say this is a contemporary worship position or this is a traditional position? Like, I would say that's something that I think we're at a point now that those contemporary, um, modern, just putting a label on worship is sometimes can be so divisive, just saying, hey, we're here to have worship and we're going to play a couple, we're going to play a new song or even not even a new song. But hey, we're going to play a song that I'm sh- I think that some of us may not be familiar with, but I think it's going to be a great song that really fits with Pastor So and So's theme and I think it's a great song for us to really usher us into the presence of God for worship. And you just kind of then it doesn't matter if it's a four four bar stanza or whatever, you are it's worship and it doesn't matter if it's traditional or contemporary because it is just simply a time of worship. Well, and I think too, that like this whole idea of contemporary versus, you know, traditional, you know, you brought up a great word in, in surrender. And I think that we so many, so many times get lost in, we get we get lost so many times in the idea that we um, don't we're not there for ourselves. We're there for an audience of one. Whether we're serving, whether we're on staff, whether we're uh, a lay person in the audience, we get lost in God's presence, and we're, we're that's why we're there, and that's why we're supposed to be there. And um, it shouldn't matter the song. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I could talk all day about that, but yeah, it's. Uh, yeah it's it's a powerful thing when you see when you see the lord and um just as isaiah did just as ezekiel did just as you know elijah did it, all these people just they just get caught up in god's presence these biblical figures and um i you know i've experienced the holy spirit before and it's just one of the most anointed times and um 
you know, full transparency back, kind of circle back a little bit to the, I, uh, the, the Chaga firm thing, you know, we were in there and, um, they sang this is amazing. Grace is that first song yesterday. And yeah, it was different. And yeah, it was not really what I'm used to, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, pastor Jason got up there and he, he, he said a prayer right after that first song. And, you know, he talked about God's amazing grace and, and tears just rolled down my face. And my wife's like, are you okay? And I was like, you know, it just breaks my heart that the church of God is going through some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and it breaks my heart even more that, that we're taking so long to deal with it. And I'm not saying, Hey, we just need to nail this in the butt. I, I'm saying we need to have difficult conversations and have, like you said earlier, dialogue and, um, yeah, it's um, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, I hear you, man. Yeah, <laughs> this podcast has been all over the place. It has been. It's been. I mean, well, I mean, it has. I mean, there's there's a lot of emotions, you know, mm-hmm. from our last podcast to kind of, you know, maybe excitement or gloom, depending on how we're approaching Friday and how that's going to go down. But yeah, but yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, we have to, yeah, we just have to. We have to be better. We have to be, I mean, we have to be better, but I think we also have to be more, and this is probably going to be taken out of context, so I'm going to clarify. I'm going to say we have to be more open-minded, but by open-minded, I mean more of, we got to be able to kind of get out of our own heads and get in get rid of our own blinders to really say, okay, how can I have an authentic, meaningful conversation so that transformation can happen on whatever the topic may be so that I can understand those who have a difference of opinion than me and not come in with my own. And that they, when I have come in with my concerns or my rebuttal, that they're able to have those open-minded conversations too, and that we can have that healthy dialogue. Um, and part of me thinks that with the rise of social media, and it's so easy to just say what you want because you don't have to look at the face of the person you're talking to. All you see is a little avatar or a picture or a static picture that if I was to say some of the things that maybe I believed on a certain topic and it may have hurt or offended somebody, like deep down to the core, if I'm able to see their body reaction I think I may be a little bit different in how I would respond, or maybe I'll be a little bit more graceful with my speech, even if I may say something that is the total opposite of what this other person believes. Hmm. But I think we've gotten such in a habit that we can say what we want without consequence and not realize that, you know, we may be saying things to help move the movement forward or to stay true to our heritage roots or whatever dialogue you want to use, but you forget that you're causing a wake of hurtfulness in the way, wherever you are on this topic. Um, Micah, you made the comment that we're going to be talking about church staffing. And of course, my story has gone wild has to do with church staffing. So again, talking to a bunch of friends after our episode dropped, been on the phone with some people and uh, heard this story about uh, one of my pastor buddies who their church secretary was retiring after being there for a good number of years. So they're now looking for a new secretary. So they did a whole search thing. 
they kind of put like together of what they're looking for. You know, they're looking for someone who kind of had the same skill set as the previous church secretary, but even looking at something that has more of a knowledge of social media, which, you know, a lot of older secretaries probably don't have a good grasp on social media, marketing and, and sponsor posts and all that information. Go through this process, find somebody and the pastor was very clear that, you know, even though we found someone, we're not going to mention who it is. Um, even during one of their staff meetings, one of their elders said, oh, hey, are we going to hire this person? And the, the the pastor's like, again, we are not saying anything until they have accepted the position, they have signed their contract and and everything else. And then we'll make a huge announcement to the church so everybody knows who the new secretary is that was just kind of how they did things which i guess in some ways was a good thing on their part because after a training session with this new person the old secretary finally left had a big celebration big a big party um and then the next day the new person starts and it just happened to be a day where a lot of staff was out of the office that day this new person gets there Works from nine. Next thing you know, it's two o'clock. Someone goes to one of the couple staff who are there, go to check on her. Not there. And found out later from the pastor that this person had just quit after barely a day into the new position had quit. Um, And I think there's like a lot of, I don't know all the details, but it was just one of those things where it was like, oh, okay. So, after that uh, but thankfully the pastor didn't like immediately started calling all the people who have applied for the position saying oh sorry you're done whatever or you know ghost them because i know that's kind of a tactic that some people used to like eh, you don't get a call back that probably means you didn't get it uh but no the pastor was very already had like a number two and a number three in case number one didn't work out so their new number two uh, secretary is going to start working sometime midweek uh, this week, which I thought was just so fascinating that didn't even say a word, didn't even contact anyone, just, yeah, I'm going to quit, just gets up and leaves. <laughs> which I don't think, I mean, I've been a pastor of small churches, so I don't think I've ever had that sort of thing happen because I'm the only staff. Um, so mostly everything else is volunteer driven, but even the camp or when I was doing internships at churches, never have I seen anyone who just simply said, you know what? Yeah. It'd be weird. Like, you know, church staff or, or camp staff. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, where's, where's, where's Jim at? Where did Jim disappear to? I don't know. Jim got in his car left. Maybe he went to go get some snacks or maybe he had to go run an air. And next thing you know, Jim doesn't come back. It's completely constant say word to anybody. <laughs> somebody somebody told me once, uh my friend a friend of mine used to work in human resources and mm. uh, uh, I'm not even gonna say the place, but he said that they uh, they had a lot of turnover in this position or in the position, turnover in this office, right? And so mm-hmm. human human resources is a hard place to work no matter where you are. And um he told me that somebody came in, they started their first day, they left for lunch and then didn't come back. So they didn't even make it a whole day. Wow. So 
not to outdo your story, but like I, I remember that from uh, this is a couple of years ago. They they started, they came in, they worked, went to lunch, didn't come back. <laughs> mm. So what are we talking about today? After all so, that, well, we're talking about church staffing, and, and more specifically, just kind of because we obviously we talked about all the crazy stuff that happens with church staffing. But how does one navigate church staffing? Because I feel like I feel like a lot of times when you work at a church, there's a certain expectation. culture or a certain expectation when you're working at a church. Um, and I think a lot of times the culture of a church kind of dictates how staffing happens. So you may have a church where Literally, the you know maybe you hire a second. Let's just use secretary as an example from kind of my case. You may have a secretary, and the churches, and according to their job description, they're supposed to do posts on social media, create and send out newsletters, get bulletin printed, maybe get sheet music printed for the musicians. Like you know, there may be a certain thing that they are responsible. You know. Answer phones, let people in the door. Um, especially if you have like a locking security system, um, all those things, and that's kind of your job position. And then, you know, whatever the pastor needs, you kind of do any administrative things that the pastor may need you to do. And that may be all you have to do. And then you might have some where a church member may walk in and say, Hey, I'm here for a for a gathering, can you make me copies of this? And it's just someone off the street asking you to do something. And it's like, well, do I do that? Or do I say no? Because, you know, or maybe you have a church where everybody is, everybody has ownership of the church administration. So it's the youth pastor and the children's pastor and the lead pastor and the worship leader in, and just random the head of the ushers, you know, everybody's like always asking for something for the administrator. So now it just seems like the the stack keeps getting higher on this person's shoulders. So when it comes to hiring and maybe having a longevity of church staff, I think there's a couple things that churches can take from the business world, some lessons they can take from the business world that can make them more effective. And I think there's some other benefits that being a church you have that can kind of help with longevity in a church staff position. And again, when I say church staff, not necessarily talking about pastoral, because I know that has its whole other system on how that's done, but this is just simply a pastor, a lead pastor, or a team of people, maybe an elder board, are hiring a secretary, a janitor, um, maybe a children's pastor or a children or even an intern or a youth pastor like those sort of things that they have a different um hiring procedure than the lead pastor mm. so micah what in your since you've had more experience working in churches that have more than one staff um what have you seen that has worked and what have you seen that has kind of been like yeah this needs to change because this is not good Where to begin, where to begin, where to begin. <laughs> um, so, so a number of things. The In my own experience, it's been different in every church I've pastored. Um, the hiring process, 
the hiring process for pastoral staff, the hiring process for um, administrative staff, et cetera, um, and lead pastor. So like, I, I think you nailed it, Scott, when you said, you know, the hiring of a lead pastor is going to be completely different than associate staff and associate staff is going to be completely different from administrative staff. Meaning if you have office managers, um, social media marketing person, um, somebody who does finances, you know, those are all different areas that would be under kind of the administrative umbrella. And um, then you have uh, associate staff, children's minister, worship minister, uh, executive pastor, associate pastor, um, senior adult pastor, you know, all of those would fall under the associate. And then you have the lead. Um, mm-hmm. In my case, I think, well, it's it's been done in numerous ways. So uh, in some cases, if you're, let's just go the associate route since I have more experience in that, that world. Um, okay. When I went to be the worshiping young adults pastor at Heber Heights Church 10 years ago, um, I met with the worship team. I came up on a random Saturday and led worship with the worship team and met the pastor and and some of the staff, just kind of like, uh, you know, non-formal meeting, but I had interest in the job. And so I met the pastor, I met the associate pastor and um, met their worship team and got to hang out with him, lead worship and just have a really nice time of worship with them. And then uh, just wanted to see how it went, see how it felt. And then the pastor reached back out to me and asked me how I felt about things. And then um, if he wanted, if, if I wanted to move forward and then, you know, we uh, from there, you know, met, they had a, a board of elders and a church council, two separate boards, smaller church, you know, two to 300 people. I'm like, why do we have me just thinking logically, why do we have two, two boards essentially? Mm-hmm. Um, the church, can- the church council handled certain things and then the board of trustees handled others, which is basically how they broke that down. Uh, so yeah. then I met, I met with their church council, expressed the calling of my life. And then they voted whether or not they wanted me to have a tryout, which, you know, we've talked about that before. Um, went in, uh, practice with the band on Saturday morning. And then I had like a uh, meet and greet with some of the church, like informally on Saturday afternoon. It was kind of like a social kind of thing. Um, And then Sunday morning I led worship, they voted and then they offered me the job. I've also Mm -hmm. been in spaces where um, the lead pastor makes those decisions and they don't even include the board. Like he, he or she can bring names to the board resumes to the board and say this is who i'm thinking about hiring great um but in reference to uh other churches i've worked at i've one church uh, i met with the senior pastor and he was like we want you to come on staff here's the job description here's how much we want you to work here's how much we're going to pay you are you interested and i said yes and, and we move forward had no interaction with other staff, had no interaction with the board, just just here's the job. I've been working, you know, not not formally, but just been serving there for a while and got plugged in. Um 
as far as administrative staff, uh, the kind of the same deal, the senior pastor in most situations where I've been has had the, um, the opportunity to hire whoever based on resumes, based on education, based on experience, put, put a, put an ad out there, whether it's in Facebook, uh, website, um, other avenues to, to get people LinkedIn, other, other areas where you can get the word out that you're hiring somebody and then you interview somebody and they just, you just offer them the job. And it's not as, um, stringent of a process as say i just mentioned earlier when i went to huber heights mm-hmm. uh, lead pastor roles um you know from my experience i've not really had other than like growing up in a pastor's home and my dad going through you know what's called a candidating weekend where they get your resume and mm-hmm. um you come in, you meet the church, meet the elders, preach, they vote, they call you back a week later, let you know whether or not, you know, they want you to come. And or Scott, they ghost you. you. Or they you ghost don't you. don't hear anything back. And Scott, you could probably speak more into that than I could, but like, yeah, I think like from the professional world, like you said, the business world, it's a lot, sometimes it's a lot quicker of a turnaround than, you know, what ministry life is like. It's, it's, you know, some churches go several years without a senior pastor or a year or 18 months mm-hmm. or, you know, nine months. Like they go a pretty long time without filling that role, partially because they, you know, they don't know what they want or they do, they do know what they want and they can't find that person. Yeah. So, and I, yeah. So I think from, and I think that's the thing too, because like when you think about a lead pastor and both from the times I was an interim and I was helping churches try to find pastors versus me being trying to find a, a lead pastor position. Um, it is a long process. And again, if it's an appointed system, like what the UMC has. Yeah. I didn't even mention that. That's like, that's a whole different, like, like that's a whole different system. It's basically, you know, it's almost kind of a, in some ways, I think some people would say it's better from a pastoral side, because at least, you know, when you're leaving a church, whether you decide I'm, it's time for me to no longer pastor let's have someone else pastor this church that can kind of do something different that may help them because i'm at a point where i'm just kind of burned out or just feel like not effective anymore or i've done all that i can do with the knowledge and i've helped this church get to this point in the journey and now someone else needs to kind of take the baton and take it to the next leg of this journey um at the same time, the church doesn't really get a choice in who is overseeing them. And I've heard stories from people who are part of churches that do appointed systems where the bishop had put the wrong pastor at the wrong church, um, you know, because it wasn't a good fit. Um, and it had caused a lot of, but it has kind of basically caused a lot more issues than if, there would have been more of a, okay, you know, let's just double check and make sure this is go, that this is going to be a good fit for this type of congregation. Um, And I think even with an appointed system, even from the back end, like, you know, the community, you know, the culture of the church, if you're the bishop. So you kind of know, okay, here's the skill set of this person. Here's, here's the vacancy that this congregation has. Here's the skill set of this pastor that would really help this them exceed 
and where they're lacking. And I think that's kind of the benefit of an appointed thing. But yeah, on the other side, if it's a call system, then basically you have a search committee who is putting together a certain thing. It could be educational. We want someone with a master's degree. It could be years of experience. We want someone who has at least 10, five or 10 years experience. It can be whatever it may be. It could even be specifically like, we want a male pastor. Like it can be as detailed or vague. And then you get a bunch of resumes, you go through them, you have conversations. Um, and I think in some ways, depending on how strong your search committee is, depends on, you know, who you get. Um, I know one, one church I was interning at, there was, a pastor who's interested in this bivocational pastor at this really small church in Wyndham, Ohio, all the way out from Oklahoma with seven kids. And during the interview, things are going great. And then this person demanded that this church pay him a certain salary. Yeah, that probably went over well. And but here's the thing: this small church was asking if they were asking me if that was something that they could do, and I'm thinking, do you have that money in the bank account? No. Well, then no. At the same time, it's your church; you dictate the salary that you can pay somebody. And I don't care if this guy was the smoothest talker in the world. He would be a great fit, even though he had seven young children. And that would be a really great thing to kind of say, hey, we have kids in our church because, you know, and that can maybe be a launch pad of trying to get more kids in the church. You know, there may have been a lot of perks with that person. But if you cannot pay the salary that they're asking for. Then it's a no go. Because then what's going to happen? You go and you say, "Okay, we're going to pay you seventy thousand dollars a year. And then this person comes in here and after a month or two, you're basically trying to figure out, okay, we have no money to pay this person. Are you guys going to take out a, per are you guys, is the church going to mortgage their homes to pay this guy? We're going to mortgage the church or we're going to get a loan from the bank. We're going to, we're going to beg Ohio ministries. We're going to beg Anderson, Indiana for money to keep this person like, that's not good. So it's a lot more complicated when you're hiring to lead because really a lot of churches, whoever your lead pastor is, that lead pastor is usually the sole person. In most cases, it's the sole person who's responsible for hiring, hiring any other staff. And a lot of times it doesn't go through a committee like the lead pastor goes through. Mm -hmm. So if a pastor... Once I hire a youth pastor, put the word out, get the resumes, interviews, and then maybe, maybe at one point they may have like the trustees or the elder board talk with them. And then after that, you know, depending on the feedback they get from them, could also determine, you know, if this pastor is going to hire them or not. Or the pastor could say, okay, I've heard your feedback. I'm still going to hire this person anyway because I think they're a good fit. Like, lead pastor has all the power to do that. And I think in some ways that's okay because in a business world, usually 
you have background checks, you have all this stuff that happens before you hire somebody. And then there's also certain rules, like there's a certain grace period. So if you get there and you don't want it, okay, bye. We still have a couple other people lined up for your position. Um, where you may not have that within a church, so they they operate differently. Um, but I think the other thing that's pretty cool, it, the, the challenging is what's going to stop a pastor from hiring a bunch of yes people to surround that pastor so that anytime when there's any concerns about the lead pastor's leadership, well, now you have lead pastor's buddies surrounding them. It's like, well, if the lead pastor goes, then we all walk. And now you have a complete vacuum and a big hole in the church to fill. So you're kind of, so sometimes it can become a little bit of a power struggle. If you have a pastor who's just hiring people, not necessarily they're skilled, but well, this is my buddy and this is my other buddy and this is my other buddy. So it becomes like a, becomes like a, a sorority house or a fraternity, I guess. Um, I, I will say too that like, so, so one, so two things, one, um, I've also had the experience, uh, where I walked into a ministry situation and I never even talked to the lead pastor because mm-hmm. it was a bigger church. I interviewed with other members of the staff and who I would be reporting to directly and uh, I had two interviews and they checked references and I didn't even meet the lead pastor until I started. Wow. So it's, it's completely different. Uh, and, and, and larger ministry situations, like you mentioned earlier, Scott, the other thing, you know, working in higher ed, uh, at a bigger institution, like Miami, where I work, the, the hiring process is just, uh, is a bear. Um, and I know there's state laws that go, you know, you could talk, probably talk to Laura about this, but like there's state laws that go into effect uh, when you try to do any sort of hiring in higher education or K-12 education. Um, because, you know, there's, like you said, there's background checks, um, you know, the interview process is just a small piece of the pie, right? R- really, if you're looking at it, you apply for a job, you get, you know, interviews and then, uh, you know, once you get the interview and then like the person decides, Hey, we're going to hire this person. It may be a month before you get your offer letter because of, you know, the logistics of hiring. And um, like I said, state laws before, but the, you know, back to ministry, like it's, you know, for me, it's, we live in this instant gratification world. And I'm like, why, why does this have to take so long? It's either you like the person or you don't, you should hire them or not. Um, but I think the church, you know, over the years has been so picky and spoiled in reference to, you know, well, we want this person and we want this person to have a PhD and we want, uh, you know, my favorite thing at at Miami Scott is when you look at a job description, well, we want this position plus five years experience, but you have to have a master's degree in this. But you you don't have that experience. You can't have that experience because you're not out of grad school yet or whatever it may be, you know, in reference to the case. Like, you can't have the experience because you've not been able to work that job because you've set the bar so high. And and I get that in the church that you want to have that person have a high level of intelligence, uh, a great deal of leadership. Um, 
and you know it it's hard it's almost unrealistic would you agree with that at times it's almost unrealistic like we want our lead pastor to have a phd we want that person to have 20 years experience and we want them to be young and have a family yeah you can't you can't have like 30 years experience 20 years experience be young, have a family, and have a PhD. Like It'd all those like, things. We, we want someone. We want someone in their twenty, the mid twenties, but we want them to have a PhD. And it's like, I didn't start ne- college at like. They never left old. school. Like they graduated high school, went to, to. Which is funny. Which is funny because they want all these accolades, these academic accolades. But to do that, you have to remember that they probably went from college to get their masters, to get their doctorate. Yeah. And if they did all that step, what real world ministry experience have they've had? Mm, probably none. Well, which is why Ashland, like to be part of the Ashland's doctorate program, you have to at least have 10 years of ministry experience. Because again, if the whole point of having a doctorate is that you have something that you see a challenge or an issue within the church, whether that's within your denomination or at the church at large. And There's that word again. Have, I know denomination. We we say the dirty D word in here. Uh, <laughs> Sub, but, sublimi- subliminal messaging. Oh gosh. But, but anyway, I lost my train of thought now. But oh, I mean, Ashland, ten years of experience. Ashland, ten years yeah. experience because their whole thing is they want to make sure that you are actually doing ministry. You're. So that way, after you've done ministry for 10 years, you can say, okay, here's the problems I'm seeing within the church. Here's the problems that I'm seeing within Christianity. So here's how I'm going to address it. And now I'm going to do this big, you know, dissertation to kind of help raise awareness or issues about this topic and then have a defense where you talk about it with people. And if they, if you're able to pass your defense, then you get to wear the funny hat and the little like felt things on your sleeves, like the little badges of honor on your sleeves. And I'm sure some academics are going to listen to this and they're going to groan with me just saying that, like my bat wings and my master's gown. What are these bat wings? <laughs> bat wings. <laughs> and then people say, I'm going to put snacks inside them. That's where I put. That's how I sneak movie theaters. That's how I go every time I go to movies. I wear my master's cloaks, so and then that way I can put like sneak food in those little fat weights. <laughs> I have to pay the high prices. <laughs> anyway, hiring. So, <laughs> well, yeah. I I also want to say quickly too that like yeah. you know in over a decade of experience of, of creative arts ministry, worship ministry, whether it's internships being on staff at churches, consulting, independent contracting, whatever it may be, I'm amazed at the the amount of things, you know, quote, experience that I've had to learn on the fly over that decade, right? I didn't learn per presenter until I started messing with it. I didn't know how to yeah. do live streaming stuff until I started messing with it and cameras and lighting and yeah. software and stuff, audio engineering. I didn't go to school for any of that. Like I have a, you know, I have, you know, I went to school for music um, as an undergrad, but that was music performance and focused areas like percussion and piano, where yeah. I was taking lessons and performing on a regular basis with orchestras and, you know, like, all, like that had nothing to do with the audio engineering side of things or, you know, live streaming or per presenter or the, the creative art side 
of, of pastoral ministry and even in seminary to take it a step further. I went to seminary, not expecting to learn any of those things. Yeah. However, I didn't get taught any of those things. You don't, you don't take a class on per presenter. You don't take a class on, you know, Facebook live or YouTube live or whatever it may be. Um, it's, it's all experience and learning on the fly and people like do people set the expectation or I'm sorry, expectations way too high and unrealistic for, for jobs uh, in the church. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think when it comes to, so I think like some practical good things, what, what churches need to look for or do when it comes to hiring staff. I think the first thing is really have a clear vision of what you need and what you want, but also have a clear vision for growth too in this position. Because you could say, our, you know, my buddy, we had a secretary for 30 some years, did a great job. We are hiring someone new. We want them to be able to do the same thing that this person does. But the one thing that our previous secretary lacked was social media and doing social media. So let's try to find someone who has these same kind of skill sets, but has more of a social media, but has a good history of doing social media. I think the other thing that churches do is they're very um, discriminatory in their hiring. Okay. And what I mean by that, and what I mean by that is, well, we didn't hire this 40-year-old pastor to be our youth pastor because he's too old. And they'll say that. And like people will say that. Well, we want someone a little bit more younger for the position. So that's why we didn't hire you. And I mean, it's a slap in the face to the person who's been doing this for so many years. And probably has a lot more experience, and especially if they're constantly going to conferences and getting and keeping up to date with the challenges that teens are going through. I think that's a good thing. At the same time, if you say, well, in a workplace, if you were to say, well, we didn't hire you because you're too old or you're too young, and you explicitly say that, that's a lawsuit waiting to happen in the business world. Churches seem to get by with it. So I think it might be good practice that if you're going to hire someone, hire them for their skill set. And if it is something where it's like, well, you know, we do want someone younger. Don't tell people that. Don't say we didn't hire you because you're not young enough. Or you're not educated enough. Or, you know, we didn't hire you because when the way you preach, you don't preach expository or a three-tier um method you have a whole different style of preaching that we don't like like that sort of thing you have to be very tricky with you know you want to be professional with not only who you hire but where the people you don't hire and how you communicate that to them you need to be very professional um and then i think the last thing that i would do is don't rush you have to have a healthy balance of not to rush someone into a position, but at the same time, don't wait so long too. If you're like Micah, your example, if you want someone who's 25 years experience and a PhD and you put that out there and you get two resumes and you don't like the two people's resumes that you got, don't just sit there and just wait for them to come to you or Maybe keep putting it out on different websites that you want 25 years and a PhD. You may have to think, okay, 
is 25 years of the PhD, is that really realistic for this position? Or can we kind of note, can we have a PhD? Do we still want the PhD? If not, is a master's good enough? Or maybe a master's and maybe, because I mean, at this point, if someone has their master's in something, they're they're pretty top tier as far as education. You know, I feel like a doctorate would be like beyond, beyond um, that. So, you know, I think you need to kind of think about, okay, I mean, and that was something that my family's church did. They were looking for someone with a, I mean, their big thing was they wanted someone with so many years of experience and a master's degree. They got a, you know, a handful of resumes. Eventually, they ended up hiring somebody who didn't even have a master's degree, but had, you know, over 30 years of experience in ministry. And I think that in itself, was probably a good choice because of where they were at as a church. And, you know, I think that was good, but they were able to pivot and say, okay, this is what we said we wanted. We're not seeing the results of what we want from, you know, character or kind of where we see the church, the direction, the church division for the church or anything else. So maybe we might want to adjust and see, so maybe the whole master's thing, maybe we need to no longer have that be a a filter anymore and kind of back it down to maybe a bachelor's or whatever. So, you know, be flexible with your, I guess, with your limitations on who you want to hire, you know, well, with your filter. You know, I keep hopping back and forth from higher education to, to ministry, but like, you know, I, I have experience in both fields. Um great example of that so at miami where i work um an academic advisor position minimum qualification is a master's degree in education with mm-hmm. experience but the university of cincinnati which is just 30 minutes south of us requires a bachelor's degree will pay more money and give you a 40 percent work from home on day one but like it's it's amazing. The two jobs are very, very similar, but yet they're able to offer those same things, but for a lesser degree. Right. And I have friends that have less mm-hmm. education than I do that make way more money than I do, and they just have a bachelor's degree. Um, on the flip side of that, we're in the middle of hiring a, a dean for the college that I work in. And that person needs to have a terminal degree, you know, meaning a PhD. And they're one of the required fields that we oversee, whether it's architecture, music, theater, uh, arts management, um, you know, and so on. Uh, theater, art, what, you know, we have, you know, we're for the arts, we're bigger college. But, you know, I understand somebody wanting that kind of an experience for that high level of position. But in the church world, it may not be as realistic. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think, I think those are just some, again, I think those are some key things. And I think the big thing, and I, and I liked how my friend did this, that when you do, even if you're having a trial with somebody, in a position, 
don't necessarily proclaim that this is the person because I think that was a wise move because let's face it, like a lot of times people are very want to know everybody else's business. So the fact that you say, hey, here's our new secretary, Scott Stedman, new secretary of this church, and I work one day and I quit, what what happened to Scott? And all of a sudden you now have backlash. Not necessarily backlash, but now you're just filled with a whole bunch of questions, especially if you're trying to keep things professional. And I think there's a fine line between being professional and kind of feeding the crowd with gossip. So if it's like, oh, well, I think even sometimes, you know, we see this like in other people where they've handled like people leaving the church or people firing, how they've manage it poorly because instead of being professional, like, like the WWE, anytime when they've had to lay off people, especially around the pandemic, the WWE has laid off this WWE superstar. We wish them the best in their future endeavors. You mean being transparent and having a conversation? Yeah. Similar to what we were talking about earlier when we started. Yeah. But I mean, but even like with the WWE, it is a, it's a business, it's a profession, and they're not going to get into details. Well, I mean, occasionally, you know, they would say things like, well, the reason why we're laying people off is because of financial issues. Or we're late, we laid this person off because they just violated companies' drug policy. Um, you know, there could be some eternal memos of why that's happening, but as far as what's being communicated to the public, this person's no longer with our company. We wish them the best in wherever, wherever they go. I mean, I mean, from the WWE side, we're not hearing much about like Drew McIntyre's contract status, but you do hear a bunch of it from different like sports bloggers sports wrestling bloggers and sometimes you don't know if what they're saying is actually legit or if it's just well since we don't officially know we're just going to kind of make something up because that's going to get us more hits and more follows it's going to help our business so i think within the church you know if you're very clear of not saying okay this is our person and then it doesn't work out and then you have to answer the questions you know just wait and if that person says you know what i don't think this is a good fit for me and you kind of walk away, that's fine. And then that way, the other people that you do have that's still in your back pocket say, hey, we reviewed your resume. We think you might be a good fit. Are you able to come in and start working this week? And you can go to your list of donors instead of, okay, now we have to do this whole dog pony. We have to go through this whole grueling, stressful process of hiring someone for this position. We hired someone. We said, this is the person. We told everyone else, we're not hiring you. And then that person left after one day. And now you have to go back and beg the people, hey, can you come work for us? Because I know, at least for a pastor, when I've had times where I didn't get the position after, you know, two or three interviews, or maybe I candidated and maybe they had like, and I know that they had like other couple people candidating too the next couple of weeks. And I find out, hey, you're not the person. And then later on, a month later, you get that phone call and so on. Oh, by the way, are you still interested in the position? And it's like, at that point, no, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, because again, you just told me I didn't get it. And you probably told me because you didn't like my preaching or you thought I was too young or too old or uneducated or too educated. And now you're coming back and calling me and saying, we want you after you insulted me. Like, no, 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 no. I'm not coming back there because already, I, 
just that conversation when you told me that I was no longer going to be considered for a position and the way it was handled, told me everything about the culture. Not only told me about you as someone who I'm going to have to do ministry with in a higher leadership level, but it's also probably going to reflect the culture of that congregation as well, which fair or unfair bias, but it, 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 it rubs me the wrong way. So I'm not going to be, I'm no longer going to consider being your pastor or your secretary or whatnot. So that's my final thought on church staffing and the, the do's and don'ts of church staffing. <laughs> do be a, do be Christ-like. Uh, do be Christ-like in your personality, in your care, in your communication, but within your procedures, you know, try to be more business-like, I guess, in some ways and be very professional in how you do it. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, those are two words that you, you don't hear a lot in church. Be professional. Oh, oh no. Absolutely not. And I think that's something like my dad being someone who works in a business and professional. That's one thing I think when he started getting into church leadership, that was one thing he had to like really navigate to make sure that there was a discipline uh, with hiring people and doing it in a very respectful, Christ-like way, but also doing it in a very professional way. Because that's the thing. I think if you're looking for a position I want to know, I mean, by you being professional, it's going to already give me the the illusion or the knowledge that this is going to be a very well-ran organization based on the professionalism that I experience in the interviewing process. If the communication seems off, if the way the hiring thing seems off, if there's something that seems off, then I'm going to say, well, if everything seems to be off, then it probably means that this organization is not very professional or it's very chaotic and where there's probably going to be a lot of lack of communication, a lot of fumbling that's going to happen. Or sometimes it seems like on Sunday morning, instead of having a good laid out plan of what we're going to do in a very polished plan, it's going to be like, okay, we're just going to kind of wing it Sunday. And it's like, well, if that's the culture then, Maybe that's not the culture I need to be a part of. Maybe because I don't do well with fly of the seat of my pants, or maybe I'm someone who works uh, thrives well in a very polished, polished like contained environment that people know what they're doing, and that's how I excel. And so I'm not trying to figure out or do a lot of guesswork with everything. Mm-hmm. And with that, my friends, that is the end of our podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I don't know if you're someone who maybe hopefully this helped you with figuring out or maybe maybe rewriting your whole hiring process when it comes to not only church staff, but maybe even with your uh, lead pastor. So friends, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back on with another episode, which I guess, depending on how Friday goes, we'll probably be talking more about the Church of God responses to Church of God affirm, or we may not be talking about it because maybe it just may be too much of a sticky or hurtful or maybe even just a very uncomfortable topic that Mike and I are like, you know what? I don't think we need to talk about this because not because we don't want to, but because it's probably going to be a very, very emotionally charged uh, podcast. So we'll play it by ear. 
we'll see what happens. But uh, would you would you say that's fair? I'm ready. Oh, you're ready. You want to have it? All right. Well, friends, just negate everything I just said the last second. <laughs> but all right. Well, well, I guess we'll be back on, and we will talk about um, kind of what's going to happen Friday with that uh, live stream. So, again, one if you're a Church of God minister, one to two Facebook Live Church of God Ministries, Anderson, Indiana Facebook page. Um, Jim Lines, the general director, is going to speak on that topic. So, and hopefully, give some clarity or give some more understanding about where we are as a movement and how we should approach that topic. So I'm Scott. You guys have a wonderful rest of your weekend and we'll be back with a new episode. Take care.